Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. Bonus, bonus episode, uh, bonus episode with Briggs. Briggs is back. Loved having this chat with Adam Briggs, one of the um, funniest, most intelligent, talented uh, performers, comedians, rappers, writers. We get into all of that. Uh, we, I love talking to Briggs about everything. Uh, I'm releasing this as a bonus because Tofop, the other podcast I do with Charlie Clawson, and I are running a little appeal at the moment to, well, Australia's on fire. If you're listening in Australia, you know that, you've seen the images, but if you're listening around the world, as I know a lot of people do, um, yeah, my country is currently on fire and there are a lot of brave volunteers on the front line uh, giving their lives, it has turned out, but also, uh, you know, the people who have been affected with their homes and their towns and anyway, it's, it's, it's really fucking horrible and we wanted to do something about it, so we wanted to raise some money, so we started GoFundMe. So all you have to do to find the link, and we'll put it in, in the details here, go to my social media, any of those places where I've been plugging it, but um, if you just want to Google GoFundMe and TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P, uh, then uh, what you will get is a link uh, to the fundraiser we're running, and all the money is uh, tax deductible. Um, it goes to help the people who are on the front lines and uh, are suffering on the front lines. So uh, we're trying to raise as much money as we can. So I thought the best way to do that is offer you something extra. Uh, so here's my little deal. I know this won't happen, but in a perfect world, this is what would happen. Everybody who listens to this podcast today goes to that GoFundMe and they just put minimum of a dollar. But if you just put, um, if everyone who listens to this podcast put a dollar, uh, we would raise so much money uh, to help out these people who need our money right now. So just a dollar. If you like this, if you enjoy this conversation, if you think it was worth uh, an extra episode for one dollar, go to the GoFundMe page and uh, put a dollar or, you know, up, obviously, if you can be more generous and you have the money. But uh, just put that dollar uh, on that GoFundMe page and we'll uh, raise a whole bunch of money to give to people who really, really need it right now. So that's what we're trying to do and that's why this podcast is coming out today. I am on tour, but it feels gratuitous to plug those things at the top so you can comedy.com.au, come and see a show, that'd be great. But uh, today, this bonus episode with Briggs to raise money um, uh, for those suffering with the uh, horrendous fires that are currently happening in Australia. So GoFundMe, T-O-F-O-P, uh, and uh, donate there. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Returning guest today, uh, very exciting. Uh, last time we caught up, wasn't even in this country, uh, I don't believe. So, um, well, I mean, I, I recorded since last time we caught up. What's your name? Who are you? I'm uh, Adam Briggs. I'm um, I'm a writer, rapper, um That'll do. Writer, rapper. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. A writer slash rapper. Personality, maybe? Personality? Maybe I'm a person. I guess everyone has one of those, but yeah. I'm one. Well, not everyone has a personality. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess, but everybody has a personality. Not everybody has a... Not everybody is a personality. That's true. <laughs> Personalities. Everyone has one. Not everyone is one. Yeah. Uh, comedian slash comedian? Yeah, I guess so, but I don't do stand-up. Yeah, but I don't think that you need to... Well, that would be slash stand-up comedian. Yeah. But, I mean, do you think that if you were not a rapper that you might do stand-up? Um, maybe. I, I think they're, like, they're two very different, um, like, mediums though, right? Like, they're very different kind of executions. Like, I kind of weave a little bit of stand-up, um, like, crowd work in, in between my songs when I do live shows so you know it's there but like if a joke bombs it's like quick next song <laughs> but i would say that you know i i think that 
you know, I mean, some of the great rappers have some of the great punchlines. I mean, are very funny people with clever lines, you know, cleverly crafted lines that probably would have worked as stand up. And then there's a whole bunch of other rappers who tell stories, you know, autobiographical or, you know, stories about the world that could easily be, you know, turned into sort of the same stories that stand ups would mine in their work. Yeah, I think so. It, it's just the execution is just a little bit different. It's that, you know, there's a different kind of discipline there. But I'm a big fan of both. So I try to weave it into my show as I, you know, and eventually, you know, the show will grow and then I'll be doing one song. <laughs> but there's nothing that makes me like more scared and, and cringe than when a, um, a comedian picks up a guitar. That terrifies me. What is it about that moment when the guitar comedian, because uh, for straight stand-ups, there used to be a a bit of a look down the nose at yeah. your, uh, they, the, the, in stand-up, they used to call it the six-stringed applause machine. <laughs> because <laughs> basically the thing about singing a song at a stand-up room is when you stop, people clap. Yeah, yeah, Regardless yeah. of whether the song was good or not, people have been trained to the idea that if like somebody sings a song and then stops playing guitar, that your response is... Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's my saving grace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like that, oh, well, that that joke didn't kind of work. Hey, next song. <laughs> and then everyone's going to clap at the end of that. You know what I mean? I get to save myself after every every um, thought that bombs. But um, I know it was just a thing. It was like, it was like, oh, no, please don't. It's just like, <laughs> it's, like it's just terrifying. Like, it's just that, that moment. Like, I, I, I kind of enjoy that moment as well though that david brent you know <laughs> well, situation where it's like this dude it's like ah oh, you didn't want to be a comedian you wanted to be a singer yeah. but people kept laughing at your songs yeah. so he's thought oh well i guess like, this is comedy oh, now yeah i'll just you know just get it done when he means necessary um is there a similar version of you know what happens in the rap world what's the rap equivalent of the yeah, guitar comic. Um, for me, like when it, it depends on the show. Like when when they start grabbing girls out of the crowd on stage, mm. that's always like, oh no, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always like it's always bad when they start ripping people out of the crowd on stage. That's always a bad or or the whole or the the freestyle the freestyle part where someone starts like, you know, picking out, you know, hold that, hold something out of your pocket in the air. And it's like, this dude's got a wallet. I want something from it. It's like, it's like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like super duper, like, it's like so nineties. It's like super duper corny. It's like, okay. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow. It's like, dude, Everyone's got the same shit in their pockets in every fucking city, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like no one. It's amazing how he had that rap about a wallet. Yeah, wow. People what? were really surprised that a wallet. This in his dude pocket. had a lighter. Yeah. Other dude had a phone. Yeah. It's like it's not, yeah. you know, hold someone... up, hold up something on your wrist. Yeah, and I will do a freestyle. Yeah, about and it. I will freestyle about whatever you have in your yeah. pocket. You yeah. know what I mean? Like some dude's gonna have a bus pass or a ticket or like a. You know, fuck, it's like, give me, you know, 
just rock up with a fucking panini press or something and really <laughs> really stretch his imagination but yeah that, i think that that stuff like i'm i think as time's gone on and you really want to start crafting a show and you see people who do craft shows um the kind of cheap shots like that are like you know it's like the, the quick pop you know what i mean it's like ah we know what you're doing but yeah, it's always like, stop it. Because <laughs> it's interesting to me, show business in general. Like, mm. you know, in regard to, like, because, I, so I went and saw uh, a friend of mine had U2 tickets recently and asked me if I wanted to go along and see U2. And I was did, like, did he do the freestyle bit? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Bono said, hold up something that's in your pocket. Yeah. No, there's a, so it's an incredibly choreographed show, as you'd imagine. Like, yeah. I mean, a show that big with all the things that they're doing, every bit of it has to be in the same spot every night to sort of get that camera angle, to have those moments. But mm. there's also those big moments in the show. Yeah. So there's one, for example, that I was just absolutely fascinated by, which was, um, so towards the end of the show, so you're like two and a half hours, you know, deep into the show. It's and a long time. Eh? And suddenly, you know, on this big, you know, the biggest screen that there's ever been in the history of show business, <laughs> they have a shot from the back of Larry Mullins Jr. as he's playing drums. Yeah. And I saw it in Melbourne. And yeah. on the back of his shirt, it says Melbourne. And 40,000 people just Lost go, their shit. lose their shit. They're like, oh my God, we're in Melbourne. Yeah, this, yeah. Like, this is the best. That's us. That's us. That's us. Right. It's Hello Springfield. Yeah. Right? yeah. And there'll be no encore. But it, but it was amazing, right? Like it's an amazing bit of showbiz because the crowd love it and the crowd aren't being cynical like me. The crowd aren't suddenly having this picture of the, you know, the tour manager who's in charge of Larry Mullins Jr.'s T-shirts and they've got one for just every iron, night of the just tour. Just ironing it on at the and back. just <laughs> checking every night. You're like, where, where are we? We're yeah. in Adelaide, right? This is the Adelaide <laughs> T-shirt. We don't want to wear a Brisbane T-shirt in Adelaide, Jeez. you know? And so then I spoke about that and then people would send me photos from their gigs, you know, from Singapore or whatever with the Singapore T-shirt at the back. And that's great. the fact that I know that it's a bit of showbiz in no way diminishes from it being an impressive moment regardless. Like yeah. every night on that tour, when it gets to that moment and that camera goes on the back of Larry Mullins Jr. and it, it reveals it to the crowd, yeah. the crowd that night feels special and entertained. You're waiting for it. Right. <laughs> so, you, you want that. Yeah. You want that part. It's like, you know, it's, you know, it's all part of it. it. It's part of the performance. It's part of the show. It's part of the night. It's like, you know. We were in Sydney last night. It was like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I heard nobody rocks harder than Melbourne. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I saw there was a wrestler called, I think it was The Edge. Uh, but anyway, he was in Melbourne yeah. and, you know, particularly with the wrestlers, um, you know, very much trying to do the city of the city. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, he did, he went and he got it so almost right and then got it wrong. He goes, you know, Melbourne's the greatest. And I was, Hey, he goes, you're much better than those guys in new Wales. And I was new like, Wales? Oh, just so <laughs> close, mate. That's, <laughs> I enjoy that way more. Well, <laughs> I think that's, it's part of it. It's, it's mm. part of the show. It's like, see, like, I, I think because we make shows, like, we look at it from a, you know, analytical, you know, kind of point where it's like, you know, how do we, how do we take from this to add to our thing and, you know, make our thing great and better. And like, you're always watching shows. Like now when I go to a show, I'm watching a show and I'm seeing how they put it together, how they weave things, how the stage looks and, 
the lighting and all that stuff, there's a different kind of appreciation. So like when they do the, um, you know, the Melbourne on the back of the t-shirt, like that's just funny to me. Mm. And Melbourne's going nuts. They love it. They're like, yeah, we've been acknowledged. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, it's good. Like it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. They put in some effort. Yeah, it's, and it's it's just fun. It's like, especially like you too, it's like let them have a little bit of fun, Jeepers. Well, because it's interesting to me the, you know, particularly in the hip hop world, um, you know, that the the putting on a show versus that idea of like hip hop particularly as an art form is like, you know, also connecting to a, you know, a truth a lot of the time and yeah. like, you know, and how you balance those two things, the show and the truth and the legitimacy and the sort of performance. Um, do you have a, like philosophy about that yourself? Like when you say, you know, you're putting together a show, are you thinking about what the, the balance is going to be for the show? Yeah. Like you're like, you know, I just did a, a run, um, in Europe with the Hilltop Hoods, like very last minute stuff called me up, um, like a week before they left a friend of ours, Mojo Juju, um, was unwell and was unable to do the Euro tour. Um, so they called me up to to fill in. <laughs> I had a week to get it together, figure out how to do a show all by myself. And it was like, it was kind of exciting because I was going back to square one, like a support act um, in front of a crowd that didn't know me. Like maybe like, you know, would be in Munich in front of 3,000 people. And maybe 40 would know who I was, but like, I kind of reveled in that, in that, um, in that challenge because like, you know, I've been doing it for so long and I'm, I consider myself like an okay performer. So I was like, all right, this is a good challenge. Like to sharpen the sword. You know what I mean? Like, let's get, let's get in front of these people and, you know, every night's a clean slate. It's a new canvas to paint. You know what I mean? Like, can I get them? to where I need them to be at, you know what I mean? Like, so when you're crafting a show, like the first couple of nights, it's like what works, what doesn't, because like, because we're going to all these different countries that, you know, are not speaking like English in, in the first language. It's like, jeez, there's a, there's a language barrier. I've got to navigate here too. Um, you know, some of my jokes aren't going to land. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's good to be able to blame it on the language barrier. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's really funny back home. (laughs) Back home, that kills, okay? You should all be very thankful. But I don't know, there's like, there was a point in the show where it's like, all right, I've got 40 minutes to do my thing. And if I didn't get the crowd to where I wanted them to be at by like a third or of the way through the show... I was like, all right, I've got to step it up. You know what I mean? And that's when it turns into, I kind of got this like little bit of a streak of disdain for my audience. And I'm like, all right, okay. Is is this what this is? Is, is this what Cologne is? <laughs> is this what you guys are? Like, right. seriously. <laughs> and I start giving it back to them, like in a fun way. And like, you know, they can feel the energy. And, you know, we kind of feed off that kind of, little bit of touch of animosity you know what i mean where they almost hate me but then i'm like hey (laughs) 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 and i bring them back i was like you know hey we're so good we're all here it was like 
I'm going to be up here doing my thing, doing my show, whether or not you have a good time is up to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah, We're like, all already here. Yeah, for real. Like, and, I'm contractually yeah. obliged to do this show for 30, 40 minutes. You yeah. know what I mean? So you're stuck with me. Yeah, the hoods, the hoods haven't said to me, if they don't like you, you can get off at 25. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, nah. And even if they did say that, like, yeah. nah, we're, no. we're sticking this out. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're going to get through this. I'm not a quitter. We're, we're going through. But it, it, was there a part of you, like, in that regard? Because it is hard going back to that, like, you know, the, the life of the support act at the best of times can be, you know, uh, a tough thing. You know, a yeah. lot of people just want to get there for the, the headline act. I, I've found traditionally at hip-hop shows maybe that people do come a little bit earlier, that there is maybe a little bit more sort of open-mindedness yeah. to and, it and being like, a night rather than... And, and different countries mm. do it different as well. Yeah, right. So, like, you know, the Germans were ready. Very efficient, show on up time. Yeah. on time, <laughs> very much on time yeah. at the front. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were about it. Whereas, like, but like in a city like Berlin, they're a little bit cooler. Okay, you know, yeah. Berlin's a little bit more like Melbourne in the sense of like, yes, yeah, like oh, we get a lot of stuff, man. We don't. Yeah, nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is what time we're getting there? Nine. Yeah, yeah nine. Yeah, nine. You're on, You're on at seven thirty. <laughs> Yeah, doors open at seven. You're on at eight. We get that nine. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it's it's really interesting. But like, I just reveled in that challenge. I'd been in this other world for so long, um, doing these kind of, you know, curated events where people were expecting me and knew what they were getting. And it was kind of, they knew what they were getting. I knew what I was getting. We all knew, we were all in on it. Whereas like, okay, I get to ambush these crowds every night. They're used to hilltop hoods. I enter the stage with ice cubes, natural born killers. You know what I mean? Like there's a point of difference. Um, and you know, my, my style of rap is way more, more hostile and aggressive. You know what I mean? So there's a point of difference again. So it's like, I just really enjoyed getting back to the, like to the roots of it and like also like just being the support act and that challenge and it was good it was like a workout you know what i mean like creatively uh is there because i mean in stand-up uh you know when i was touring in the u.s i always said because it's the often it's the expectation gap right yeah. so like these days if people are like paying a decent amount of money to come along and see my show and they know what they're in for their expectation is like hey i've laid out this amount of money i think this person is funny my expectation level set at like a seven or eight minimum, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, for yeah. me to get my money's worth out of this night, it's got to be like a seven or eight out of 10 show <laughs> minimum. And I'm hoping it'll be like a, you know, whereas like if I'm, I need a three laugh per minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I need this many laughs. I've set my watch yeah. to acknowledge the laughs and I need to get value for my click, money. Click. Yeah. yeah. I've got parking. We've had dinner. Yeah. This is our night out. Yeah. This is our one night out. This is our one night out. I'm very aware. Like, I love, like, I hate everything up until the show until I'm on the stage. Like, the everything around the show, I loathe it. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, the lead up to the mm -hmm. show, I'm waiting for it to get cancelled. I'm like, just cancel it. Go, <laughs> I can go home. <laughs> I can go home. I can just, or like on this stage, like, I could just get back on the bus. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's everything up to, I, I don't know if it's like part of the anxiety or, or what, but it's like everything leading up to the show is is like maybe like a little bit more than indifferent until I'm on the stage. 
And then when I'm on stage or like five minutes before, I'm like, all right, snap, bang. You know what I mean? Like, let's get to work. People have paid. People have come out to see you. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when I was a kid, this might have been the one thing I got to do all year. You know what I mean? So it's like, don't dog it. Be good. Get out there. No one cares if you're a little bit sick. No one cares if you're a little bit hungover. Nobody cares. Whatever. You get out there and you go to work because that's your job. You know what I mean? So it's like, for you can give them 40 minutes of your day. And, you know, so for me, that expectation gap is like, I, f- I feel like it's reasonable. It's like, you know what? Like people spend money and... You know, this might be the one night they have with their partner or the one night that they have out for, for you know, a quarter or whatever. Like, this might be their one date night for the week or for the month or for the three months. So I'm like, give them something. You know what I mean? Like, they've paid their money. It's like, you owe up to, you know, your side of the deal. And it, it doesn't mean, like, I'm there to, you know to take requests because, you know, fuck off. It's like, <laughs> it's not a request show. It is not a request show. But I'm there to perform and deliver you a performance and deliver you something, you know, for that moment, you know, for that 40 minutes, that hour, to give you what I can give you, you know what I mean, my best at that point. And I think that's, you know, that's the the least as a performer that you can give, you know, everyone has bad nights and rough nights. It's like, that's humans. Like, you know, but I feel like if you go out with the, you know, I, I never enter the stage with like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, nah, come on. Like, I, like it's always like, fuck this up until it. Yeah. But when I get to the and stage. And sometimes fuck this afterwards. Yeah, it's like, but... oh, that was tough. <laughs> <laughs> that was hard. That was hard. But like when I'm on stage in the moment yeah. and like, you know, big crowd or small crowd and you see the people that are like stoked that you're there and like happy that they're there. It's like, okay, you know what I mean? Like you can find something in it to get you through that, um, you know, that part of the show that's a little bit tougher or a little bit hard or like if you're exhausted because it's like, it's a lot of work. You know what I mean? Like walking around <laughs> with a microphone. What, what I uh, was interested in, what you just said, was this idea of that, you know, that you want to please the audience, clearly. You want mm. them to have the, you know, the best time they could possibly have. But it's not a request show. No. You know, so it's like that idea of going, if you're a restaurant, you should try to cook the best version of the food you make. But it doesn't mean that you have to, like, if someone came in and wanted, like, you know, a completely different meal, that you have to make that. Like, you know, you just need to deliver the best version of you yeah. The best version of your show. It doesn't need to necessarily cater to what the audience wants. Yeah, exactly. No, it's like the idea is like, you know, I've always said this, like um, when th- there's a difference in people's um, expectations as well. Now it's changed. But like when I was coming up, Ice-T never asked me what I thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Ice T never asked me, like you know, what did what do you think is cool? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like Ice T told me what was cool. He delivered a product, yeah. and whether or not I picked up on that product was up to me. Like that was the transaction, right? So it's like I deliver this product, I deliver this thing that that I make. You know, as a consumer, you don't get to. It's like you can take it or leave it. You don't get to send it back and be like, mm, yeah, well, you know. 
I liked it, but you know, could you maybe, you know, uh, adjust it here and change it there? It's like, nah, man, this is not the transaction. This is not build your fucking burger. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, nah, I made this thing, especially like, you know, it's the difference between McDonald's and fine dining or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I made this thing. I spent time on this thing. This is what we make. But like, I think people's, um, expectations and, entitlement has changed because everything is catered to your taste if you don't like that song you can thumbs down it and that song will never come up in your playlist again you subscribe to netflix and it's like mm, i wasn't really feeling that show so you know now you don't get the irishman in your feet <laughs> you, you know what i mean like you get to now you get to pick and choose like what happens and it people become entitled it's like people drop tour dates a band will drop a tour date they might be doing 20 dates on the tour and someone will be like well but you're not coming to Aubrey mm. it's like drive to Melbourne yeah. it's much cheaper for everybody yeah I, I'm and plus I'm going everywhere <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, have you seen my tour dates I'm flying to Perth and I live in Melbourne. <laughs> you know what? Maybe you can drive from Albury to Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, for real. How about you make a little effort yeah. as well? Yeah, or you're coming all the way to WA, but you're not doing Bunbury. Yeah. Like, drive to Perth. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. It's an hour, mate. Yeah. Get in the like, car. I'm flying for five hours. Yeah. You and get the, in a car for an hour. And, and everyone's like, you know, everyone's used to this, like, one-on-one -on -one interaction, like, with the, with this artist or with the the person they like and you know on twitter and blah 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 and facebook they're used to this one-on-one -on -one interaction and they expect responses mm. you know like when i was a kid like to be sound like an old man it's like if i wanted to get a message to tupac yeah i had to write it down <laughs> you know what i mean look on the back of his cd that i bought and send it to the tupac fan club mm. and you know some I imagine, you know, young intern sent back a postcard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Tupac didn't get that message. <laughs> he didn't know how I felt <laughs> about two of America's most wanted and wanted to know how he crafted that verse and what he meant by this and what he meant by that. You know what I mean? Like there's all these explanations for everyone now, you know, like even on rap genius and stuff, like people can get their songs deciphered and, there's all these things that cater to the fans experience that it's, it almost feels like a little bit too much. It, it misses that, that mystery. You know what I mean? Like everyone's seen how the sausage is made now, you know what I mean? So it's like everyone has so much access to everything and they see how everything's made and they see how the tools are and they expect a lot more, like a lot more personal access to, to um, their artists. And I was like, well, you know, that's cool, but also fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it, there is this, this element of like, is it more impressive to know how the trick works or did you have more fun when you didn't know how the trick worked and you were just amazed by the trick? Yeah. You know, because that to me is like seeing like, you know, the magician do the trick is much more impressive than me knowing how the trick is done because as yeah. soon as I know how the trick is done... I'm trying to do it. Yeah. And, but also it becomes, you <laughs> know, you you're like, it. it's a trick where yeah. before it was a little bit of magic. And I often think that with, you know, comedy in some ways, people have become so much more literate around comedy, which in some ways is great. But the idea that everybody knows what a callback or whatever is now is like, yeah, yeah. it takes some of the magic away from the fact that people just used to love a callback. Yeah. They yeah. used to think it was like genuinely magic. They're yeah. like, oh my God, he was talking about that hey, before. And now he's talking about it again. It. <laughs> 
bookends. <laughs> this is fantastic. I feel so complete. <laughs> Everything's wrapped up. And this is the end of the show. This yeah. is fantastic. This is, wow. Yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> How did he do that? I wasn't even thinking about that, but I remember it. Yeah. But I wasn't thinking about yeah. it. I was thinking about this other thing. Other thing that he was talking about. <laughs> wow. And then he came back to it. It's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. How <laughs> good. Oh, I want to go home and do it. Uh, that idea of access as well, which is like, you know, so many of my favorite artists still don't have that access. And, and, and funnily sometimes like, you know, people, one of the ones that I get a bit, which only incidentally, but, um, but I do get it. And when I get it, it always amazes me, which is people who'll write to me about how much they enjoyed the show, but they can go on to say, but they were disappointed that there wasn't a, um, like, you know, like a meet and greet afterwards. And for me, like, firstly, the main reason I don't do do meet and greets afterwards is that normally if I'm doing a whole run of shows, I got some, like, I got to keep my energy to do, to give the next night the show that you guys got this night. And if I do like an hour of meet and greet or whatever afterwards, I'm tired. (laughs) But secondly, you just saw me at my best. You're about to see me at my worst. (laughs) This is only going to make the experience worse for you, not better for you. Oh man, it's so hard. Like when, when I... When you get off stage and someone's already waiting with a camera, you know what I mean, with their phone out, uh, like selfie, man, can I get a selfie? It's like, yeah, like, bro, just give me, like, just give me fifteen. <laughs> just let me like breathe for a second. Um, I like, yeah, the meet and greet thing is like, it's um, it's tough, it's hard because like you, like I like I, I, you know, I don't mind meeting fans and stuff but oh yeah no i'm as in like i and I, I i probably should say that if somebody is willing to hang around the stage door to get a photo i'm always going to get a photo with the person i'm just not organizing as part of the show an hour meet and greet afterwards as part of the show because i know that's not me at my best mm. the audience aren't going to enjoy it but that's also not what you pay for exactly. you paid to see me like i will go out there and try to do my best to do the best show because you've spent your money to come and see the show but the bit afterwards yeah, it, it it would it would cost double <laughs> <laughs> for real. I was like, uh, and like I imagine like you don't want to meet me. No, that's <laughs> like, what I want to say to people. Like, like this uh, is the best of me. Yeah, yeah. I, you you don't want to go there. No, trust. It's like it's really boring. You know what I mean? Like I'm like you know before and after a show. Like I'm pretty. I'm pretty like reserved. I'm pretty like before a show, I'm just thinking about the show. I'm thinking like I'm running through the show in my head, like more often than not. So if people see me before the show and I'm like a bit like aloof or it's cause I'm really not there. I'm thinking about the show. Like if you're trying to talk to me about something you did the other day, you know, I'm not there at all. Like I'm thinking like my head is in the show. Like, it doesn't matter how big or how small, that thing is weighing on me. It's on my shoulders. It's poking me in the back of the head. The show is on my mind. And then after the show, it's like the release. It's like, you're a bit wired. You still got adrenaline, but you're like, your brain is exhausted. So after the show, it's like, you need that moment just to sit, reflect, you know what I mean? And just breathe for a second. Because like what we do is a pretty like, like when you look at it, it's a pretty bizarre job. Like, like when you look at it, like pretty pragmatically walking out in front of thousands of people 
and strutting around on stage with a microphone and doing songs or telling jokes and stuff. It's pretty, it's a pretty insane job. Like it's a high energy, high demand on a person's, you know, mental kind of job. You know what I mean? You're doing mental gymnastics in your head. Like, but it's a weird place where my brain sits when I'm performing as well. Because like, I like where the, the raps happen, I don't know what part of the brain they happen, but it's like, it's a, it's a muscle memory frenetic kind of thing. It's like, once you get the first line, it's like, blah, blah, blah. And I could be thinking about something else. I'd be thinking like, man, I should probably have fish for dinner. Cause I've had like red meat twice this week. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then like I gotta snap back into it, like get back in the game. You know what I mean? Like, and or it might be something before the show that you thought about before you went out. It's like, jeepers, man! I hope I remembered to put my merch at the merch stand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm in the middle of a verse or a hook, and I'm trying to deliver like yep. the most energetic show, and I'm like. Jeepers, I hope I did that. <laughs> it's like in a monologue. Did I leave the did I leave the um the iron on? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like, where's my phone? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird place your brain can go while you're doing this stuff. It's like and I think I don't know if it's like cause where you store these kind of memories for performance, like, you know, all the words for songs. Like, I don't know if it's in it. Like we need a, uh, neurologist in here to tell me where I keep these different thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, cause like, it feels really, it's weird to be able to do that and be thinking like, man, sure could go a sandwich after this. That'd be good. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to see somebody, um, it's a, in stand up often the, the worst, moments are the moments where you suddenly are thinking about something else yeah because you know you really have to be you know in the moment for the show to be working you know perfectly and if you start thinking about something else even though the words might be coming out in order you know that like something's going wrong with the show and i went and saw somebody who i won't name the performer because you know it, 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 but i went and saw somebody who i really love uh do stand up the other night yeah. who i think is one of the greatest stand-ups in the world and he was having a bad night yeah. like you know the show was still great but I've seen him a whole bunch of times and you could just tell he was not having fun. Yeah. You know, he, he came out too fast and he, he, yeah, you could see him trying to him knowing that he'd come out too fast. Yeah. And then he mentioned at some stage, just like half a sentence in passing about him going too fast that no one in the audience, I spoke to people afterwards and they were like, Oh, I didn't even hear that, but I heard him say it. And then you could tell that he was intentionally trying to slow down. <laughs> and then he was concentrating on that. And so he's gone into a bit that he'd already done. Oh, no. And like, anyway, he kind of realizes before he gets to the big punchline of it. And again, in the audience, it might have just felt like he was reiterating. It's a callback. Yeah, right? Yeah. He talked about that earlier <laughs> with the same punchline. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then he was, you could, I could just see him in his own head. You could tell yeah, he was like beating himself up for the fact that he come out too fast, record, that he was worried scratch. about the fact that like, and so the show's still going and yeah. the audience probably wouldn't have noticed, but all I am doing now is just staring at this guy who you can tell is having this like whole internal conversation about, because yeah. I've been there. That You're moment, probably wondering how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> that's what yep. it was like. That's me. Yeah. That's me. The guy on stage who forgot what I was meant to be saying. Yeah. That's me. That's me. Repeating the joke yeah. I'd done 10 minutes earlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, uh, you, I'm interested in your thoughts on, have you, uh, you'd be, you would have at least heard of this show if you haven't watched it, because I don't know if it'd be the sort of thing that you'd enjoy watching or not, which is a show on Netflix called, um, uh, Rhythm and Flow. Are you familiar with the show Rhythm and Flow? I've heard of it. I haven't watched no. it. I, I haven't watched a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, I've been to enthralled in like work yes <laughs> but, well which is a totally good and i'm not even sure whether this is the sort of show you would enjoy or not because it's a hip-hop you know is that the one with cardi and yeah the, cardi b and a chance the rapper and uh ti and they're trying to find a yeah the next big rapper right and to a person who's not in that world it's one of the greatest tv shows of all time like yeah. i loved it adored it <laughs> cut, like loved everything about it it's probably really good fun it, it sounds like fun it is really good well Again, to people outside the industry, at the very least, incredibly good fun. And yep. a whole bunch of people that I really like, are, you know, in it at different times, like, you know, Killer Mike's in it yeah, and all sick. these kind of cool, you know, the, Snoop's in the first episode. It's a fun, Perfect. you know, it's a, it's a fun, it's fun show, you yeah. know. Sounds but um, I, I, I do wonder about um, the thing that separates that show for me from, from the other shows is that normally on those shows they you know they have to give you the big backstory of people because they're singing a cover version of a song you know yeah. on the voice or whatever whereas like in the rap world you know often the 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 actual raps can be quite autobiographical so while the person's performing they're also telling you a a big deal about their lives yeah. at the same time so yeah. I think that's one of the things that elevates it above some of those other other shows for me. But uh, speaking of Netflix, we haven't spoken about Disenchantment on this podcast because yeah. um, that well, happened in between when we last spoke on the podcast. And, yeah, because I, I, I wasn't allowed. That's right. Exactly. About it. Yeah, correct. So um, uh, I just uh, finished watching, uh, well, the, what is it? The second half of the first season technically, but season yeah. two. Yeah, season two. Yeah. Yeah. It's animation, so yeah. you're right in like 20 episodes. Yeah. But they Netflix split it just because that's how they do things. Um, great. Show. It's a great show. It's such a wonderful, uh, like just hilarious show. Amy actually has a uh, little Lucy doll that now has pride of place in our house that, that she carries around. But tell me about, because we couldn't speak about any of it last time, no. even though you were in L.A., were you doing it last time we spoke when we were in LA or you were about to Probably, do yeah. it? I was, yeah, I was like, what was I? I, I was definitely, I, I would have been in there at some point doing something. Yeah. So, <laughs> had, so talk to people who don't know about, so Disenchantment is a animated show that's on Netflix yep. by the, uh, you know, well, by a fellow by the name of Matt Groening, who some people might. Uh, know from The Simpsons. Yep. Um, <laughs> You know, some uh, people might know from the most successful TV show of all time. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, the yellow one. Um, it's a man like it was such a trip. It still is because I was just there in LA again for the for the next um, season, like because they're going to work, right? Um, I checked in on the office and see how everyone's going. Just collect all my you know, paraphernalia, <laughs> make, make Matt sign a bunch of things. It's like every time I go to the office, it's like my own little personal Comic-Con. Jeez, <laughs> um, it's, did, did I tell you 
last time how it all started no. through, through Twitter? I don't. Uh, so, so we've spoken about this previously, yeah. but I, I don't know if we spoke about it on the podcast. How um, it started. Yeah. So basically, well, you're a huge Simpsons fan. Massive. Yeah. I'm a nerd. I'm a Simpsons, like, geek. Um, and have you watched on that? Let's. I'm interested in this because there are... Yeah, your Simpsons people who will say, you know, it's it's no good after, you know, blah, 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 you know, and everyone will have a different, yeah. you, know, you know, peak Simpsons period or whatever. But I'm, I'm one of those people who I think that I've probably seen every single episode of The Simpsons. And if they, yeah. you know, there was some talk around recently about, you know, when and if it might finish up. To be honest, if they decide to make The Simpsons for the next 30 years, I will continue to watch every yeah. single episode of The Simpsons. Are you that person or are you? Yeah, is like, there a bit of you that's the other one? I think because I enjoy the characters and I know the characters and like it's still pretty good. Yeah. It's just like, it's hard. Like, I don't know if it's nostalgia kicking in with everybody and like, you know, the time was different and people, you know, was we're different socially and Whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's a whole another thing. But I, I still think the show is good. Mm. Like, it's still good. Like, I watch it. I'm like, oh, that's still good. And sometimes it's still really good. Yeah. Like, occasionally there's an episode that is still really good. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's just, I, you know, I don't know if it's time and nostalgia that makes, you know, Homer goes to college super duper still funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but... Like I still think it's a it's a great show and like, um, like I'm a Simpsons nerd to the point where up until you know I had all the DVDs the series up um, until whatever season it was you know at that year and I'd watch them all with the director's commentary. And did you oh. get them in the novelty-shaped boxes that they came in, like the crusty, the yeah. clown-style yeah, box yeah, and those yeah, sort of things that yeah. made it impossible to put on your DVD shelf? Yeah. Yeah. Infuriating. Me too. <laughs> Infuriating, but I had to have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Infuriating, but I had to have it. It had to be mine. Yeah. So I had... Because um, if I don't have these episodes on DVD, where will I ever get to watch yeah, them? Yeah, <laughs> I'll never... Disney Plus was was ten years yeah. away. I, I assume they'll never repeat episodes of The Simpsons yeah. anywhere. Where, yeah, it's lost in the ether. I'll never see these again. I have to own them on DVD. But like, I watched the um, I watched every app with the director's commentary on, and I knew, like, because I was learning how the show ran, and I knew who did what. I knew I learned about who was writing jokes, and then, you know, I've. You know, around the same time, like, well, after I did that, I, you know, I, when I got Twitter, I was like, you know, who do you follow? It's like, well, if you, you know, it's a text-based platform, follow comedians and, um, and writers. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll find all the Simpsons writers and stuff and follow them because they're, you know, my favorite. And then this, I guess like one dude followed me back. And it was um, Josh Weinstein, who, and I was like, man, is this like Josh Weinstein from The Simpsons? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> Until like he sent me a box of like, if we got talking, he sent me a box of like Simpsons, like crap, like scripts and all this like just nerd stuff that's for nerds. And it was just like all this wonderful, wonderful nerd stuff. <laughs> But anyway, we got talking and um, 
and like he wrote all my favorite jokes. Like my favorite jokes, number one favorite joke was um, <clears throat> we're not talking about love here. We're talking about S E X in front of the C H I L D R E N, and then Krusty says, "Sex cauldron." <laughs> I thought they closed that place down. <laughs> and to me, that's the perfect joke. <laughs> Right, <laughs> mishearing something is the perfect joke. <laughs> um, and so, like, we got talking on Twitter, and then when I went out, I showed him some of the comedy stuff I did with like black comedy and other writing I've done. And we went out to LA early on, and I met and I met Josh, and he was like, you know, oh, we're working on this um, this new show with Matt. It's all very hush hush. Um, Matt Groening and he's like he's like you know would you would you like to be a part of it like would you want to come on board and and write and I was like oh man geez, geez between doing nothing and fuck all I don't know if I could fit this in <laughs> but is, is there any moment when you get pitched that sort of idea that you are overwhelmed by the idea of like you know if you grow up being a fan of something yeah and then the, the something that you are such a big fan of comes to you and says, you know, there's an opportunity for you to kind of be in this world, you know, mm. work with the guy who created this yes, thing that I love so much that you find initially intimidating or terrifying or is it just, oh, my God, this is amazing. Of course, I would be involved in something like this. Yeah, I think, I think I'd been trained throughout this music career um, because I got to do so much cool stuff, like I, I think I was trained to be, to look at it pretty, you know, from the outside pragmatically and be like, okay, like it doesn't take away from the excitement of it and um, anything like that. But it wasn't like I was lost in the moment, but I was like, fuck, that's a really cool, great opportunity, like to work with my heroes. Like I get to look at it like, that like i get to do the thing i wanted to do since i was a kid like since i knew like you know i if you told me when i was 12 years old one of your first ever national tours of australia you know what i mean national tours that would have been like what of what is is going to be with ice cube i'd be like well then i and that's when i quit right <laughs> Like that's when I'm, that's when, and that's when I'm done making music. I'm touring with my favorite rapper, my favorite artist. So I think I'd like, I'd had a lot of gradual opportunities to like kind of, um, ease me in to these situations. So, you know, and being around the boys like the hoods and, and seeing how they operate, being, you know, the best at it in the country, but also still really cool and still really nice and still genuine, nice dudes. It's like, oh, you can do it. Oh, you can be cool. You know, you, it doesn't have to take, take you away. So like <clears throat> when I, when I, like these opportunities come up, like disenchantment, I get to appreciate it on a, on another level not in a level of being swept up and being like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in this whirlwind. Like, how do I do it? It's like, wow, this is great. This is, 
an opportunity not everybody gets. Like I'm the only Australian in the room. I'm one of two international, you know, contracted writers um, on the show with the dude who created the universe in which my comedy exists and comes from, you know what I mean? So it's like I get to, I look at it from a different, um, from a different perspective because of the history I had in music, you know, being exposed to different achievements and levels and, you know, work. And it always come back to the hard work part. And like working on that disenchantment script that I wrote, cause I, I wrote it at home in Melbourne. Working on that was like the hardest I'd ever worked um, <coughs> uh, on anything. That was the hardest I've ever worked. I locked, I, I literally locked myself in the studio I had at the time for eight hours a day for two weeks and wrote that script from start to finish. When you're working on a script like that, so, you know, you, you had an understanding perhaps from, you know, the Simpsons DVDs of the process of how a show is put together, but you suddenly, you know, walk into this, you know, huge world, you know, Netflix world, a big animation show, you know, working with a whole bunch of people, I imagine, who've, you know, work, existed and worked in that world before. Um, what's the actual process? Like, how do, how do you, like, you know, combine, obviously, if people haven't seen Disenchantment, mm. it's an ongoing narrative. So unlike yeah. The Simpsons, which has a bit of a, you know, kind of reset element to yeah. it, you know, often the adventures they go on don't result necessarily in character growth or, yeah, you yeah. know, when you tune in next week, you don't need to know what happened last week yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. But in Disenchantment, it's not that. It's it's an ongoing narrative and a narrative that's constantly evolving. into. Yeah. In, in, and one of the things that I really enjoy about the show is it doesn't have a very predictable narrative at all. Yeah. Like it, it has an ongoing and unfolding narrative. Well, that, that was Matt. Yeah. That's Matt. Okay. Matt was like, he was always just like, kill him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he was just like, yeah, Matt, that's, that's his, that's his genius. You know what I mean? And, um, like I actually wrote two scripts for Disenchantment. I got, I got given the episode that I was given and you beat it out. So like I sent back. A, a, a beat sheet and a beat sheet is like a dot point of all the big moments that happen in the story. So it's like, you know, the, the guys go here and then they go there and then this happens and then that happens and then this happens. It's like a, just an overview of what's going to happen in the story. Like a little bit detailed was maybe like two pages of just dot points of, you know, of the big jokes and the big moments and stuff like that. So we wrote that, sent it back. They're like, cool. And I, I wrote this script. And then, um, like, all good. You know what I mean? They're like, yep, cool. And then um, Matt, um, Matt decided that um, the whole season needed a do-over. I needed to rewrite. Right. And Matt, he was right. Because mm. like, now it's great. It's like, like it was good before. It was still, but it was, it was different. 
it was different. My episode was more of a reset. It was like that Simpsons flex. It was more of a reset. And then it was like, Matt was like, no. And like everyone had to do a whole, a whole rewrite. And it was like, but it was like, you know, it was, it was tough because like in my head, I'd already checked off the, um, the, the, um, the list. Like I've already done it. It's like, so in my head, I'd completed, I'd accomplished that thing. I could already check, check the box. It's done. So I had to go back and uncheck the box, which I never do. <laughs> and I had to go back and, um, learn about what was happening now in the arc that everybody has now and rewrite this script that was, you know, completely different. So I had to write two scripts and like I wrote it, wrote it, wrote it out, sent it back and you know, it was good. And they were like, yeah, happy, cool. And I was like, Phew. and that, that was the hardest part because that, that was when I locked the door and sat in that room and rewrote it for like two weeks. Uh, like eight hours a day. Is there any moment in that process where you have doubts about whether you can do it or not? Um, for sure, because I'd never done it before. I'd never written an animation before at this level. So I was like, you know, but then I was just like, yeah, if it really sucks, I'll fix it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, not, they're not just going to put one there that really sucks to teach me a lesson. Yeah, they'll fix just, it. It's like sitting, you know, go sit me in a in a closet and maybe smoke a carton of cigarettes yeah. and write another episode. <laughs> you know, sit in there and you're going to smoke every cigarette, and then you're going to write a, another. No, it was like. You know, everyone is super helpful. It's not this um, competitive, like everyone just wants to make the best show possible. Everyone wants to make the best possible product. Everyone, so if you're having a bit of trouble or you're a bit stuck, like I've never had better direction and stuff in like professionally than with um, Josh and Matt. Because it's like, there's not, there's no beating around the bush. Like, oh, well, maybe you could try something a little bit different here. And, the, you know, it's just like a red, red text. Make this funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is good. Yeah. This is not so good. Mm. Make that funnier. Yeah. Expand on this. You know what I mean? It's like, but like, I respond really well. To that kind of direction, like really direct, like make that funnier. Okay, I'll work on that. You know what I mean? Which so, but it comes with that element of we can, we trust that you can make this funnier. Yeah, we're yeah. not we're not saying to you that we don't think that you have the yeah, not, talent to yeah, make it funnier. It's not like just, you suck. Yeah, it's like no, you're good. Make just make it yeah. better. You know what I mean? Like make it funnier. Sign gags and stuff. No, nah, make that funnier. Different. Another one. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really good direction and like. Like, that's why, like, when, you know, when Matt decided that that season needed to be, you know, rejigged and reformed, I was like, of course, like, what are you going to, you know, this dude's Simpsons and Futurama. It's like, if it needs to be done, that's what has to be done. And he was right. And I talked to Josh about it and Josh was like, yeah, he was right. It was like, the, the episodes we have now 
are way better. The character development is way more in depth and like there's more feeling to it and it's funnier. And because the, all the characters and all the jokes are like based and, and rooted in their, um, in their, in the character and in their flaws and, and they come from a good place. Like every character has this, has a warmth to them. So it's really even Lucy, you know what I mean? Like it's great. Uh, so what is the biggest lesson you probably learned out of the experience of working on a show like that? I think the the biggest lesson for me has always is just like, just, um, I think I said it the last time we spoke, you know, it's like do or do not. There is no try. It's like, that's always been the lesson. Like just get in there and do it. You know what I mean? Like I think people's, um, fear of failure is what holds them back the most. The fear, the fear that they're going to fail. And I feel like, um, you know, if you can learn from failure and learn from your mistakes, but more importantly, learn from other people's mistakes as well. Um, you know, you, it can, you know, you learn how to adapt really quickly. Um, I think the, but the main thing I learned was like, you know, is hard work and being kind is what equals longevity in this industry, in entertainment. You know what I mean? Like it'll work. Like, you know, I'm, and not to say being kind, like being a pushover, but lead with respect, lead with kindness and you know, it'll come back. Like that's what people respond to. They reflect what you deliver. You know what I mean? So the main thing I learned from that, this whole process, um, is that I can do it. I've never done it before, but I can do it. And I've done it. And it's on Netflix. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is the thing though, right? You said, you know, you did a national tour with Ice Cube. You, um, you know, have this show with Mio McBraining on Netflix, you know, like when do you, is there other things on your fantasy list from when you were a teenager that you haven't ticked off yet? Or do you have to come up with a whole brand new list now? I think so. Yeah. Like my list is adjusting, you know what I mean? Like I'd hate to my fantasy list from a teenager would be terrifying. <laughs> like, can't do that anymore. No, but like, I feel like my list adjusts and it's about growth. You know, it's like, as you, as you get older and you move through and do different things, you know, you understand what's, what's important and, and, um, you know, what really makes sense to you as an artist and as a person. Um, so, you know, your list for achievements and, and all that stuff is, is going to evolve as you evolve, as you tick things off. Um, it's, it's not always like about what's next. Um, it's about, you know, growth. So what's next is an interesting phrase though, because everybody is always so fascinated by what's next. Yeah. And there seems to be a momentum around most industries probably, but show business in particular, which is always 
what's next? You know, yeah. yeah what are you doing next? You're only what's good next? as your last bit. Yeah. And, you know, the, the idea of being in a touring life and these sort of things very much has an element of like, sometimes you're like, I just need to get through today to, so I can get to tomorrow. Yeah. Are you good at being in the moment, appreciating the exciting thing? Because I think, well, I'll put it personally. I think if I look back on my life, one of the things I would have liked to have done better was enjoy cool things while they were happening. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I didn't enjoy them as much as I could have or should have or would have if I wasn't thinking so much about what was next or the next thing that I yeah. needed to do. And now I'm at a stage in my life where I'm trying to go, no, this is cool and yeah. this is enjoyable. Try to be in this moment rather than thinking about what the next moment is. How are you at, at that? Um, I, I try not to look look back um, too much. It's like I'll, I let other people do that. Um, like I, I try to enjoy the moment, um, as much as I can, but it's, I think it's in us and what we do to be thinking about, like, cause I get all my like gratification from making things. So like once I've made it, I'm done. I'm out. I'm like, yeah, there it is. Do what you want with it. I'm over here making something else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I've, you know, I've got a kid's book coming out um, you know, 2020. And it's like, I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Yeah. When you say kid's book, do you mean like a, what, for what, aimed at what age is this kid's book? Um, like probably like primary school, mm. but like, you know, I imagine older kids, we had to take something away from it as well. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's like a, it's, it's a book that's, um, that's based on my song. Uh, the children came back. So it's like a little bit of like a, like it's that little history lesson with some cool pictures and stuff. It's dope. It'll be out next year. But like, I've kind of like, it sounds bad, but I forgot about it a little bit because I'd already made it. Like in my head, it's done. So I'm like over here working on new music and working on, you know, writing and, you know, disenchantment while I'm back home and stuff like that. So it's like, it's like, oh yeah, geez. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. That's a thing. It's not out yet. But so like all my gratification comes from making stuff. So like when I'm like, I, I know what you mean, like about trying to appreciate the things you're doing. So I'm, I'm actively trying to cut back on all the stuff that I do. So I'm trying to give myself four things, um, for the next, you know, 18 months that I can concentrate on. So I give it like my all. Are you better at, um, achieving a project if it, c it can be the entirety of your focus or are you better if you have a balance in, you know, I'm doing a bit of writing, I'm doing a bit of music, I'm doing a bit of comedy. What's the best approach for you? Are you all in on one project so your headspace can be there? Or is it better to have a few things going on? No, I need a couple. I need a few. Just so, just because like I like doing different things on different days and the way I operate, I like, you know, some, some mornings you wake up and, you know, you've got music and sometimes you wake up and you want to write, you know, it's, I'm, I'm spoiled like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just like to do what I like. Um, but. You know, some days you have a five-year plan. Some days you don't have a five-minute plan. You know what I mean? Like some days you're really clear about, you know, the next five years. And some days you're like, geez, what am I having for lunch? Where was I? Where am I? You know what I mean? Like 
the the industry we're in can throw us curveballs and you know throw us in the washing machine really quick but um you know i understand what you're talking about with enjoying the moment i'm trying to do that a little bit more and i feel like by doing that i need to cut back on everything else that i do i need to focus on the stuff that i is like my fundamental foundation of what i really enjoy music writing and comedy um how do you balance what you have to put in you know life and reading watching versus what goes out because the more in demand you are the more that you know you, you like here's all these various different places that i'm using my creativity and i'm yeah. telling my stories and i'm making my music how do you balance that with you know making sure that you're also filling up the bucket enough that you have you know good shit to empty out of the bucket <laughs> to talk about yeah um I'm I'm a consumer because I enjoy the I enjoy the the market. I enjoy the place. I enjoy the music. I enjoy listening to music. I enjoy watching comedy. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm a consumer as I am a maker. Like I love taking it in. It's like I find it's like how do you you know, how do we find the time? Well, I don't know. We just do. Like, you know, we just operate like as soon as you wake up sometimes you know you don't wake up you just stay awake <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah. it's just ticking away um overnight um i think that's one of the things i have to learn is how to switch off because i've i'm horrible at it i can't switch off well when you don't have a nine to five job you know or mm. you know a, a job that has set hours it is very hard to give yourself permission sometimes to switch off and i think it's the thing that I am, you know, most guilty of is like not knowing, like, cause, cause you know, the great thing about, yeah, one of the great things about thinking or <laughs> like having a show or having a song or having a, a joke you're trying to unlock is that often you can just be doing that work in your head while, you know, yeah. other things are going on. But there is occasions where I've drifted out of a conversation <laughs> because I'm yeah. like, I need to write this down real quick. <laughs> sorry, I'm working. Yeah. You know, my head's decided yeah. that I'm still at the office. Yeah, I've clocked in. That the capacity to switch off can be a, a very hard thing. Yeah. I, I'm not good. Like, I tried meditation. Not good. I'm not good at it. I need to do like active meditation, like go to the gym or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's what. That's what feeds my brain. But yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. Like I think every creative's, um, dream job is, you know, that, that thought about, imagine if I just was just stacking boxes, <laughs> if I was just moving 80 boxes from this warehouse to that warehouse. And that's all I had to do that day. There was no more requests. There was nothing else I had to do. I was just move those boxes from there to there. And they paid me whether I moved. 80 or 70. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a box got lost along the way. Yeah. I don't know. Something don't know. happened. Yeah. But I think every creative um, that has, you know, our job and our um, kind of timelines and stuff, you know, schedules, mm. has that, that thought, that dream of like, ah, imagine if that was yeah. our job. Let's go and do something where I just... It's very simple. Yeah, it's just very easy. 80 boxes. 80 boxes from that warehouse to this warehouse. That's all you have to do. You get paid the same. But I, I know, like, in my, I know that, like, I could only do that for a, 
a morning and then I'd, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> and I was, I was talking to my, you know, my DJ about it. I was like, dude, you know, we have like, cause we talk about that all the time. You know what I mean? Like, ah, you know, when all this stuff's coming up and we have to create the show and put it all together. It's like, ah, oh, man, like it's cause it's draining on your brain. You're like, geez, imagine if we're just stacking boxes. Like, you know what I mean? But it's like, we have to like, always like put us back in check and be like, dude, we got the best driver in the world, man. We can't like, this is what we, this is everything that we work for. Let's not like disrespect it like that. And you know, like let's just focus on doing what we do. We make joints, you know what I mean? We do shows and that's our job. So let's get to it. How do you separate, um, being a, uh, most most industries, you know, particularly creative industries, where there's not some sort of course that you can go to and learn how to do it. You know, people start out by mimicking, you know, the people who are already doing that thing. Mm. You know, like you you learn how to write Simpsons jokes by mimicking how the Simpsons wrote their jokes. You learn how to rap, I imagine, by you know listening to you know people you like, finding out what you responded to, and sort of you know starting out. You know, you see it in music all the time, you know, the bands that wear the influences heavily on their sleeves. But then mm. eventually, you know, to get to that next level, uh, you know, you need to go, okay, now I need to have the confidence to step away from being like a, you know, a version of Ice Cube or a version yeah. of Tubac or whatever it might yeah. be into going, I'm going to make something that is completely me and originally me. And the same with your writing, you know. I'm not going to be a facsimile of what Josh wrote for the Simpsons or what Matt wants. Yeah. I've, I've got to, within the framework of their world, bring something that is unique to me or otherwise anybody could be doing this job. Yeah. Um, will you tell, talk to me about that a I little. think like that was like a, one of the parts of when I was writing um, the script for Disenchantment, you know, locked in my Footscray studio and just going to work um like that was one of the moments one of the things i would keep you know reminding myself as well as like you didn't get the job by accident you know what i mean like you're here because you can do it um but is you know when i was writing something i was like oh geez i wonder if that's too niche or too me um will they get it it's like just write it if they don't get it you get the red text that says, make that funnier. Yeah, I don't get this. <laughs> yeah, I get less about you. Yeah, I don't get this. Make it less Briggs, yeah. more funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was like, it, it was, a you know, it's like when you write, you know, the first, the first raps you ever write will be over the instrumentals of Dr. Dre and whoever else, you know, and you're just mimicking your favorite rappers. And then, slowly you find your voice and you find your style. Like we always are going to borrow styles from our favorite rappers. Like that's what all of us are. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if Tom Morello is the child of Hendrix, you know what I mean? Like you can hear it, you know, same as, you know, Slash, you know what I mean? You hear the blues and you hear the, the lead, you know what I mean? Like same as rappers. It's like, I, especially a lot of these new rappers, I see, um, I see a lot of Lil Wayne and I see a lot of Andre 3000, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot more liberties with their art. So everybody's always, uh, um, going to be a product of what was before them. It's about finding your voice 
and amplifying your attitude to make it your own. Like everybody's going to be playing with the same tools, but what you make with them has to, you know, look like your thing. Like, cause that's what makes it your art. That's what makes it your joke. That's what makes it your style. Like how many Will Anderson babies are out there? <laughs> I mean, not literal babies, hopefully. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like everybody wants to, you know, be like their favorite. And so when they start out, that's what they do. It's like, I think the curse of now is like when I was starting out, it was really hard to, um, record your early stuff and put it together and put it out. It's like, man, now like all these kids stuff is on blast straight away and they've got video clips straight away and they've got everything straight away. And it's like, it's like, oh, okay, there's a Kendrick clone and okay, this kid wants to be J Cole. Oh, there's a chance to rapper. It's like, you know, you can, you can hear it. You can see it. It's like, it's great. It's great. It's like, but now their, their early stuff that was normally on demo tapes or just in your head yeah. or, or in the mirror <laughs> is now, um, is now on SoundCloud and YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, but that's just technology. That's just how fast it moves, right? It, well, yeah, I always feel grateful that I am of the right era that uh, my early stuff is even like, you know, Triple J and the times like that where people, I'll have people come up to me going, oh, I loved you and Adam and Triple J. And I'm like, yeah, because there's no recordings of it that you can listen to now. That's why, that's why you, know, you have fond, fond memories of what you thought it was. But if you had to sit through three hours of it a day, and still, I think you'd find that there was a lot more misses than there were hits. But um, yeah, comedically, same thing. You know, there's, uh, uh, you know, sometimes these days I'll have a young comedian, you know, send me like their first or second set that they've recorded and put up on YouTube and go, do you have any advice? And I was like, yeah, my number one piece of advice take is take that down. Because <laughs> yeah. a couple of years from now, you will just wish that that was never out there. Like yeah. make your mistakes in private, learn how to do what you're doing first. There's, you don't need to be like famous or out there straight away. No. There's some great value in, you know, Bruce Wayne style going and, yeah, you know, like I, I think trading with the league well, of like Everybody thinks they need to be out there straight away yeah. because everyone thinks they're great straight away. <laughs> you know, everyone. And it's like, it's the curse, right? Like yeah. everyone thinks they're, they're really good straight away, yeah. but it's like there's, there's something in taking your time and crafting your skill. And that's what I tell these guys, like just work at it, do a thousand shows before you doing your own headline run. You know what I mean? Like do a thousand songs before you're putting, you know, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like go to work, work before you start trying to do proper releases. Cause like you, you only ever get one debut album and they're not all Illmatic. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, you know, that's an anomaly. So I can't stress enough. Like that's my, always my advice, practice. Just record, do shows and practice and don't try to launch before, you know what I mean? Like before you're ready, like, because like, it doesn't matter who you are from the SoundCloud rapper now, you know, to the, the biggest rapper in the game at the moment, they're all going to hate their early shit. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter like how good you are. You're always looking back at that early stuff and like, Ah, could have done that better, could have done this better. And like, you know, but like that's part of it as well is just letting go. 
you know what I mean? And being like, that's what I did at that moment. That's as good as it was ever going to be at that moment. You know what I mean? And that's how it had to happen for me to get to this next part, to get to this next moment, you know? And it's just like, no one sees all the, all the little parts in between, you know what I mean? All the, all the work in between those parts. That's, that's the hard part. Like that's the stuff you got to keep to yourself and just be like, it's all good. Like that's part of the job. Um, you, you spoke about being on tour with the Hilltop Hoods. Um, you know, like that is, I mean, I think we spoke about the hoods a bit last time, but I just, uh, I came, uh, Charlie and I came and saw you guys, uh, in Melbourne when they were were playing the show in Melbourne and you were involved in that show there. And, uh, I just watched a little, uh, kind of documentary about the one night stand that the (laughs) ABC, I watched on iview the other day, which was great fun, you know, um, uh, What's it like, you know, going out on the road to do a, not like so Australia, we know they're a massive Australian act, yeah. but then suddenly when you're, you know, touring around the world with them, like mm. something that I imagine when you were growing up, or at least when they were growing up, the idea that Australian hip hop would be something that like, let alone would be popular in Australia, but <laughs> would be popular enough that you could then yeah, we went, take I, that act out into the world. I wasn't even popular in my own house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's such a trip to see how far they've grown. Like the crowds now, they're not expat crowds. Mm. You can't go to Leipzig in Germany and say, that's an expat crowd. You know what I mean? Like, nah. It's not expat crowds anymore. Um, like that last, the that that Euro leg, man, that was that was hard because like we were on a bus, and touring on a bus, you know what I mean. Like you better be good friends, man. Yeah. Well, if you're not good friends, you're gonna be great enemies <laughs> <laughs> by the end of that. But I think because everyone's like kind of older. You know, they're all, they've all got families and kids. Like they, honestly, the boys spend most of their time FaceTiming their kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and it's a really hectic lifestyle living on a bus. It's tough. And I think everyone is in it. So like everyone respects that bubble (laughs) because if anything happens within that bubble, it's like letting a shot off in a plane. You know what I mean? Like you can't do yeah. it. As soon as one shot goes off in the plane, yeah. it's like it's, the whole thing comes undone. Man. <laughs> so you know, but like everyone's really cool, man. Like we're you know, no nobody snapped. Um, you know, it's because like it was like thirty days, and yeah, and grueling too. Like in regard to the schedule, yeah, like from one night. place to the next place, bro. I fell asleep. You know, on the bus. And I, I don't know where we went to and from, but we crossed three countries <laughs> through the night. And um, and I and I know that we crossed three countries because Telstra charged me like three or four times. It's like, hey, congratulations, <laughs> you're in the Netherlands. Here's because here's ten dollar day pass. Hey, congratulations, you're in Belgium. Here's a ten dollar. Hey, what's up? You're in Germany. Here's ten dollar day pass. Like just even the night, it cost me thirty dollars to go to sleep. <laughs> Did you have a favorite show on the tour? Um. Oh man, I really liked um, Dublin. That was fun. Yeah, Dublin was fun. 
what was it about the uh, the show in Dublin? I don't know if it was because I went to the Guinness Brew House and then the Jamison Factory. Mm, possibly. Before, <laughs> before it. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, it, were they doing, were you doing a, a verse in Cosby sweater on the tour or was yeah, it? Yeah. yeah so it, so it, it wasn't all, wasn't all a waste. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean you have to stick around for the whole show. You can't like, you know. No, but, but that, you know, it's the, um, it's the callback of all callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> What's the guy from before? Hey, it's him. <laughs> it's him. Bookend. Yeah. I feel very satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a finish. There he is. It just has a natural sense of completeness to wow. it. Wow. <laughs> um, before we uh, finish up, can we talk about the world? Because I always like to get your opinions about, you know. Yeah, sure. The world. and uh, I'll just around it. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So probably a good, uh, you know, person to ask at this time period. Because, so what's your general just vibe? You know, what's your general sense of where we are at this kind of, you know, revolution of humanity? Is it a revolution? Well, I mean more in a revolution sense as in the world keeps spinning. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> as it as it, as does. it does. As a tradition. And it's very hard to tell, I think, sometimes whether this is just a natural part of a cycle that builds up into, you know, whether it be the Cold War fears, whether mm. it be, you know, like that maybe in every cycle in every generation that you have, you know, like we've lived through our equivalent of the industrial revolution, which is the, you know, the internet revolution, yeah. the, you know, this, so we're living through that at the moment, you know, we've had this incredible social media, social media, and we're starting to understand how that's actually changed the entire world rather than it just being something it bizarre, that hey, it's like, you know, we live through, you know, well, before us was like, you know, the industrial revolution building cars and factories that build factories and, you know, now we live through the, you know. Apps. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, now we have. And the, we had apps. The, the internet yep. revolution where we have, you know, Spongebob memes. That's what we're going to leave yeah. on the world, Spongebob yeah. memes and, yeah. Yeah. and, um, and the alt right, <laughs> well, like wow. at least that come, like at least that's still there. Like, well, that's... there's always been a, like, th this is the funny thing though, isn't it? So, are we going through what is just a natural cycle of there's been, you know, there's a there's a leap forward, there's a great big bad, whether it be nuclear war, whether it was actual war back in the days, whether for our generation it's you know the climate, or whether it was Y2K, or are we at a point in the evolution of humanity? Yeah, that uh, we are getting towards some sort of you know, end game or crisis point or yeah. Well, I, I often think about like because like one thing I was thinking about like this is the last year of this decade. Yeah, we're going into twenty twenty. Um, we had this. I forget who I was with. But we have we're having this argument on, on whether or not, or I was listening to something where they were talking about whether or not they were going to call it the twenties. It was. Yeah, it was me, my mm. tour manager, my DJ. Whether or not we'll call this next era the twenties, because there's already been twenties, right? Yeah. Like, and we we're still there's still people around who remember the nineteen twenties. <laughs> yeah, the twenty twenties. Yeah, the twenty twenties. Twenty twenties. Yeah. Um, so, like, I try to look back at the last ten years and and see, like, you know, I was just trying to reflect on it the other day. I was like, in the last ten years, like, what's some of the the coolest 
and we call the shit that has happened and like what's you know what's really been like great but like you know what was the best album of the the 2010 period do you reckon oh that's a good question um oh god uh it's so hard to remember. Like now that's that we have now that we have everything, it's hard to remember specific things. And because we get fed music so quickly as well, and like the news cycle as well. So I think the biggest, um, for me, the biggest, um, and I don't know if it's the twenty, like solely to the twenty ten. You might be able to correct me, but I feel the biggest change has been the twenty four hour news cycle. Yeah. Well, it probably didn't start in the this uh, decade, but it's become, uh, you know, all invasive. You know, the twenty four hour news cycle has become the sort of twenty four second news cycle. I yeah. mean, twenty four hours now. It used to be the kind of idea that things would, you know, be churned up in that twenty four hour cycle, but now there's even like things move on so quickly that nothing feels like it matters or has value. Yeah, it's really tough. It's like it's the same kind of thing with music and, and stuff like as soon as you drop something it's like where's the next yeah. thing it's like when Kendrick dropped his album everyone was like yeah that album's good mm. but we know you've been working on the secret second album and that album doesn't come and it's like you know fan expectation they're like hang on a minute where's the second album yeah. that was never promised <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah I like so what was your favorite album of 2010 it's the, the 2010s Favorite record of the 2010s. I've got an idea of what mine. Okay, tell yeah. me what yours um, was. Today. I really liked Kanye West's um, "My Dark Twisted Fantasy." Ah, yeah, that's a good album. I, I enjoyed that album a lot as well. It's probably my favorite album of the 2010s. I would literally have to look at a list of music to even un like that. That's in how incredibly impossible it is for me to even place time of like because I could say to you, "Hey, I really love this album," or I. You know, yeah, but like, I would be like, yeah, like, yeah, but that's like that, that. That's how the brain is now. Yeah. And it's the same with television shows because I was trying to have this conversation the other day when somebody was asking about what my favorite television show of the last ten years was, and I was like, like as soon as you ask me that, I can't actually remember the names of any television shows <laughs> because there are so many now that it's hard to say that this one in particular was my favorite t t TV show. Yeah, mine probably. I'm going to turn on my phone and see. Eastbound and Down? Um, is that 20? Oh, I mean, that's a great. Is TV that 2010? Show. I'm going to say it's in this decade. You would think, right? We'll have to look it up. I'm going to look up. I'm going to actually hang on. Is it 20? Do you know? I'm the first look. episode was in 2009. So 2009, it finished in 2013. I probably didn't watch it until 2010 as well. There's a, there's a list that's just come up on Junkie that, came, that was written yesterday when we're recording this of the 50 shows that have defined the last decade, okay. television shows. Uh, I'm uh, going to go through just very quickly. House of Cards. Okay, so I bet that, I bet that's on there. <laughs> Although it's a little less uh, popular uh, inclusion of these days. Orange is the New Black, The Leftovers, uh, BoJack Horseman, The Jinx, Catastrophe, Catering Show, yeah. The Good Wife, Atlanta. Atlanta's good. Atlanta's a good show. Um, Great British British Bake Off. They say Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. Uh, Barry. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pen 15, uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, Bluey, The Kids Show, Fleabag, uh, good show, Nathan for you, Fargo, oh, Fargo. Okay. I, I tell you what, second series of Fargo yep. is probably my favorite TV series of the last decade. There you okay. go. I just needed to, 
look at some things to be reminded. But okay. I think series two of Fargo is as I, I I don't think I enjoyed anything as much as I enjoyed that in the last ten years. I reckon, I I reckon you're right. I reckon that was pretty good. I reckon um, also up there for me would be um, True Detective season one. Ah, uh, True Detective season one's amazing. Yeah, uh, crazy. I have very much enjoyed The Good Place. I okay. must admit, I uh, it's like I'm thinking about shows where I'm genuinely like uh thinking I want to watch the next episode. Okay, yeah. I want to want to see I want to see what ha- happens next. So yeah. uh that that's one that I yeah, as a comedy I really liked that landed for me. Um music-wise, it's so I you know what I've noticed is that the music that I enjoyed the most is new music by artists that I already liked. I'm at that stage <laughs> in my life where like I think that I listen to new music, but I really only listen to new music by artists that I was already invested in. Yep. It's very hard for me to to get out into like some actual, you know, new new music, trying oh. artists that I'm not already familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old for that. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'll listen to new music by bands I already know. Oh, Leonard Cohen's got a new album, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, That's new. I'll have a listen to that. That counts as new. new, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> yeah, it's a new Eminem album. Sure, I'll yeah, listen to that. that. I'm already new. invested in yeah. Eminem. That's. I know what I like. Yeah, I think like yeah like, I I think the social media and the impact of the 24 hour news cycle and the use of that and the kind of you know, obliteration of privacy and mm. and all that is what's really going to um really going to spell out what this decade was about and what it was worth and you know, everything that follows on from from this and how um they know everything. You know what I mean? The things they know about us. Well, the information that all these companies now have on us. Yeah. And like, that's not even a conspiracy thing. No. You know what I mean? Like, Oh Net- no, they've admitted that. Yeah. Like Netflix, mm. Netflix knows so much about you that it's scary to the point where you and I will get different, um, artwork for, um, for, for shows. Yeah. Because there like, was a prominent example recently. Of I might hate Nicolas Cage. Yeah. You might love Nicolas Cage. Yeah. If there's a Nicolas Cage guy you know in a movie they're not going to show me nicholas cage no. they're, they're going to show you john travolta and yeah. go nicholas cage because i love john travolta 100 yeah, yeah, big, big travolta man constantly watching yeah, john travolta looks like yeah. <laughs> um I, I that's really interesting because there was recently a, a you know uh, a, a great example of that which was that uh you know, uh, people who, um, you know, were traditionally watching things with more black people in them were getting like Love Actually. Even the movie Love Actually was coming up with a different, uh, you know, like with a black person in the... A blurry black person in the yeah, background. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know all those lead characters in Love Actually who were black people. Uh, but it, it, c- complete example of what you're saying. We were on Gruen trying to do a segment about um, advertising on kids' YouTube videos. Oh, yeah. And... Everyone who looked it up at home got a different pre-roll ad uh, because now it's not like there's a standard advertisement that runs at the start of that clip. No. I get a different advertisement to the mums of the kids who got the different advertisement to someone else in the office who got a completely different advertisement because we're all getting, even though we're watching the same show, we're all getting tailored 
advertisements to us based on all the other preferences and information that we have given these companies. That's the thing, like staying, staying in the States and seeing the big pharma advertisements for all the different, um, for all the different medications mm. and stuff. And it's like, then the, the quick disclaimers at the end, do not take cephalax mm. if you experience night terrors. You may also experience the experience suicide yeah. <laughs> and side effects may include death. Yeah. Yeah. I had one that was, but uh, it will, it will clear your heartburn. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> what, you're dead. I think one of them I saw was like, it said, uh, uh, chance of coma. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not sure that I'm going to take something that gives like, yeah, unless, I'm, unless I am already in a coma, <laughs> don't give me medication that one of the side effects is a, chance of a coma. Just a little bit of a coma. Yeah. There's just a touch. That's all I need. I don't need. I don't need a full coma. Just a little bit. Oh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> just take a half. Yeah, I could. I, as a holiday, I could do a couple of weeks at a coma, but <laughs> just, just a half. Just a half. Just, just half a coma. I'll have. I'll have half now. Yeah. See. See how deep my coma is, and maybe I'll have another half once the coma kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I, I think that's really going to spell out the um, what this decade was worth, and and where it's heading. Do we think that there will be a, and, and we are seeing some of it already, which is people, you know, spending less time on their devices, you know, becoming aware at least of the time they're spending on their devices, getting some awareness around privacy and these sort of things. Some of the networks like Netflix being one of them have gone from, you know, in, in putting everything out, you know, in that model that can be just completely binged mm. to going back to, you know, a more traditional model feeding. of drip feeding it a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think people, um, I think people like are pining for a little bit of that human element of a break. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a break from everything. Like I was talking to my, you know, my girlfriend the other night and I was saying like, I was like, maybe I should leave my phone in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like rather than having it like, you know, I've got, notifications everywhere in my phone on my computer on my wrist now i've got a i've got a watch that tells me how lazy i am you know it's like i've got all these things that, that are speaking to me and nothing's asking me what i want no but like you know what i mean like i've got all these things that are talking to me and speaking to me i'm getting all these notifications it's like it can't be good like you need to switch off and like you know when i went to um you know as fun as it was when i went to the states i remove the emails from my phone so i couldn't do emails on my phone like just as a break <laughs> so like i think you know other people are doing things like that and um i think we're going like uh, i think we're going to have to like how far can you push the social boundary until it snaps back and resets you know what i mean like a simpsons ad <laughs> when we need to get back to, you know, it's like that rubber band existence. It's like goes all the way out and it has to snap back. It's like we we give so much of ourselves and everything's curated, you know. Our, everything's curated on on Instagram. Nobody's putting up, you know, like, I'm not putting up, you know, the most boring part of my life for the gram. Cause like, I don't want to do that. And you don't want to do that. It's like, nobody wants that. Nobody wants, yep. Just sitting here watching nothing. You know what I mean? Like there's, everything's curated to what we 
want and what we want to perceive. Everything's edited. And I think at some point it's that face-to-face um, interaction that is, you know, the stuff that we crave because it's unedited. It's real. People don't have time to sit and curate and think about their response and, <laughs> you know what I mean, and stuff like that. It's, it's a real-time, real emotion interaction and that's what people crave it's that it's it's the locking of the eyes and and doing stuff that you know has you engaged with a person and i think people you know like that stuff that they don't get from a you know i, I think it was in um it was I, I was watching a thing about um or i was listening to a podcast about ai and cgi and all these different things and the hardest thing for to make a robot seem real is the eyes because people can tell something's not you know right or and that we have this fight or flight thing within us when we're looking at something that doesn't look back properly look look back correctly like we can sense and it's all to do with with our eyes and how we look at each other and i feel like you know that's the stuff that is going to be um, what we crave in the next in the next part is that actual human interaction. Um, what about the idea you you touched on it, which is this idea of that you know curation also means that you know if you like Briggs, you might also like this. If you like disenchantment, you might also like this. And the opposite, as you mentioned, which is if you don't like Nicolas Cage, suddenly we're not going to show you stuff that has Nicolas Cage in it. What effect does that have on us that we only start getting fed things that we already like rather than being fed things that might challenge us a little or might take us out or might change our mind about Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Like if you're never seeing, you know, advertisements for a Nicolas Cage movie because the algorithm has decided you don't like Nicolas Cage. What if Nicolas Cage comes along and does something uh, yeah, suddenly that might change your mind about Nicolas Cage? Nothing's going to change my mind about Nicolas Cage. <laughs> 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 um, no, and that, like, that's part of, um, that's part of like my internal, you know, monologue where I think about it. I was like, am I too much in a bubble? where I'm only hearing, um, you know, on Twitter and like I've curated this world where I'm only hearing the, um, the thoughts and ideas and, and like listening to the personalities that, that I like that match with mine and the kind of points of view that match with mine. And then I remember that I grew up in a world of everybody else's points of view and personalities in a, in a country that loathed us, you know, so I didn't feel too bad about it because <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, you know, it's, it's such a funny thing to think about when it's like, am I in a bubble? It's like, yeah, but my bubble exists within the bubble of white Australia. And so like, if this is my bubble here, it's like, I need that to, to bounce my ideas and think about stuff. Cause like, as soon as I step outside, you know, I'm confronted with Sky News and the Bolt Report, you know what I mean? Telling me who he thinks is black and who isn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, 
didn't you get in enough trouble last time when you get like when a judge told you you were racist like relax when a judge last time said you probably shouldn't point out who's white or black yeah uh and he's just like you know i'm gonna continue doing that yeah yeah <laughs> like, what are you what are you doing just because i was convicted of being a racist that's so, not gonna let yeah. me it's not gonna stop me not gonna stop being me. racist <laughs> it's like just double down in fact if anything you've proved that i'm already a racist <laughs> yeah, so, so this is on brand for me yeah for real yeah. it's like Double jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it's a, it's a really, um, it's a, it's an interesting thought that I, that I would often think about, like, am I surrounded by too many people who agree with me or I'm not being challenged properly? But I think as well as like, you know, it's a spectrum of people that are in this world that, and even within my within my um, bubble that like do challenge and do have, you know, do self edit a whole lot and being artists, you know, we do self edit a whole lot. And, and as I said, like, as soon as we step outside, you know, we're always, you know, as in, you know, indigenous Australians or, you know, black followers or whoever in this country that, you know, feels this way, they are confronted with the outside, um, you know, idea and the fact that we grew up, we grew up under, you know, their laws, their constitution, their ideas, their policies, you know what I mean? So like we are exposed to every, you know, the ideas of white Australia and the right and the conservatives all the time. So, you know, I'm happy that I've got my little, my place where I get to like, share ideas you know what i mean and think about stuff and you know it's also like you got to be think about stuff objectively as well like not everything's black and white you know what i mean like there are bits and pieces that you know especially like if you're telling jokes it's pretty funny right <laughs> and, and sometimes things are you know black but then accused of not being black enough yeah so <laughs> <laughs> uh when you look at australia um at the moment uh gut reaction where are we at as a country um, it feels like Australia feels like up the top, like the conversation is very conservative and very, um, safe and very, like just super conservative, but down below, like where we, you know, on the ground, it's very open. It's very, um... And it's not just left, it's everything. Like the conversations down below are very vibrant kind of conversations that everybody's having and there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but yeah, like if you look at like Australia, like uh, I think Australia like now, like just because I was outside of the country for like two months or something like that, maybe three. Like I think it was like, you know, yeah, probably two months. And like Australia thinks um it's very cool. <laughs> and it's and it's really not. You know what I mean? Like I, I I don't think everyone I don't think the world like I don't think Australia realizes how the world views it. How do you think the world views Australia? Well, Australia like I think Australia views how. Yeah. Is a, what does Australia? Is a, what does Australia think the world thinks of us? Well, like, what does the like world think Australia, 
Australia thinks like I think it's stuck in that that eighties, nineties crocodile dundee, you know, cutesy, oh we're Australian, we yeah. can we can go around wherever we like. No you know worries, I mean? mate. Everything's, Everything's fine. cool. Yeah. You know, get a mate and that'll get us by. Yeah. But I I think <laughs> like I, I think that's what Australia you know, how good's yeah. Australia? Yeah, like that's how Australia thinks of Australia. Yeah. But the rest of the world looks at Australia how the most of Australia looks at Australians in Bali. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a long bow. (laughs) That is not. That is one of the greatest analogies of all time. I I think you have perfectly summarised. (laughs) Yeah, we have such a cognitive dissonance between the way that we think we are seen and yeah. the way that we were genuinely seen. Yeah. Like I remember when I first started traveling overseas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was still that element of like, as long as you go somewhere and you tell them that you're Australian, you'll get by, you'll get by. Yeah. But now that is, that ship is no, the ugly Australian. We're all ugly Australians yeah, yeah, to the yeah, rest of the yeah, world. Yeah. And like, I've, I read a thing like when I was overseas, you know, on the bus and it's like Australians are considered like rude travelers. Yeah. And stuff like that. So I was yeah. like very conscious about like, dude, I don't want to be like one of those guys. I was trying to be polite. And, no, I, I remember the first time I did uh, a little uh, West End run in London yeah. and was completely shocked that one of the reviews in sort of the upmarket newspapers had referred to me as a bogan. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hang on, I'm a bogan? <laughs> hang on, what, you wait. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> like... Just <laughs> brought a bogan to your next show. It's like, okay. That's a bogan. Yeah. I was like, oh, right. Okay. Excuse this me. is a good insight into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how the rest of the world sees Australia, how Australia sees Australians in Bali. Uh, mate, uh, it has been a pleasure, as always, <laughs> to have a catch up. I can't, we can't go past that. That's the that's the closer <laughs> for me. You know, if you've got that in your pocket, you say thank you very much. Good night. Uh, so, Disenchantment people can watch on uh, Netflix yep. at the moment, and I do highly recommend it. If you haven't uh, tried it, um, it's one of those shows that rewards. You give yourself three or four episodes before you decide if you like it or not. Yeah, because it's one of those shows where yeah, there's a bit of world bu- building in it. There's definitely character building in it and yeah. that character building and world building is rewarded you know you know later on yeah yeah but by not front loading everything into here are the jokes here are the blah 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 yeah. at the start it just means that like you know give yourself some time to kind of get into the world get used to the world and uh yeah i think people are so like used to like because of the way we consume stuff it's like as soon as it's not everything that we expect it to be or not what it's not we what we want it to be we switch off, but like, you know, Futurama was the same. South Park was the same, you know, um, Simpsons was the same. It's like, if you stick it out, you know, like you would normally for a, for a TV show, it pays off. It pays off. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of, it's a different kind of viewing experience. I feel like not, not just that show, but watching something, you know what I mean? Past one or two apps. Well, I mean, South Park's a good example. I was uh, so, and I'm going to revise. If I'm going to say what my you know, favourite TV show of the last decade was, I'm going to say South Park. And that might sound weird to people because South Park has been around a lot longer than yeah. this last decade. But it's this last decade's version of South Park that I most like. Yeah. Because 
I didn't really love South Park when it first came along, to be honest. I was yeah. a real Simpsons person and there was like a, back then you thought you had to make a choice between <laughs> the two and I had made my choice. I loved the Simpsons. But also the kind of early version of what that show was didn't really appeal to me. Mm. Whereas what they do now, what they've been able to build into that world and, and now week to week as a way of satirizing the major touch points, you know, in the world. Like there's not a better show on television that understands the debates that are going on in our society and the issues and then presents them with such a, like, you know, with such a great way of calling bullshit on all sides. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the great Every, genius of that show. Everyone gets touched yeah. on it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like everyone gets a shot. You know what I mean? Like, Well, they're equal opportunity discriminators, but but not just in a wanton scattergun style. Yeah. Everything always kind of has a point of just pointing out like how ridiculous everything is. Yeah. And I know sometimes that then is the criticism that comes back their way is that like, well, you don't treat anything seriously. But I think that the comedy in that show still comes from having to really deeply think about each of these things yeah. before you can make that style of comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you to be able to do it and understand the comedy that they do, like, and the nuance that they deliver, especially like the last 10 years, yeah. the, the nuance in which they deliver it tells me that it's intelligent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it might sound dumb and it might, you know, it, cause it might be crass, mm. but it's still intelligent just because it's crass doesn't make it dumb. You know what I mean? Like it, it's still intelligent comedy. Um, there's, there's a lot of, and like, especially when it's like meta and very self-aware. Yeah, I reckon you could, um, it, it, for every year of the, you know, if you wanted to have a genuine sense of what the issues of the world were, yeah. you'd be better off going back and watching the last 10 years of South Park <laughs> to remember what the touchstone issues that everybody was talking about at the time. On the internet. And even just the way that, like, yeah, our debate around topics has changed. Yeah. You know, like, because often they'll respond to something they've done three or four years earlier, you know, and, <laughs> and it will be reflected in the, the way the show goes forward. Anyway, we're not here to plug South Park. We're here to plug Disenchantment. So, uh, you've got a children's book out next year. Yep. Uh, new music. New music New next music year. next year. Yep. Solo early, stuff, early AB original. Solo stuff. Yep. Me, me and Charles, I got to get back in the studio for AB. Um, I'll be back doing solo stuff, more shows, kids kids book like next year as well um and then um yeah just back to work man just you know what's next thank you mate <laughs>